Well, we're continuing the, the, the uh, semester-long theme here, Uncharted Territory. Um, as I said before, uh, the past two days, Pastor Jeff and I spent some time with other Texas Baptists. If any of you have spent uh, time in, in your life in the coaching field, uh, one, or, uh, one of my uh, high school classmate friends, uh, or a group of us, about eight of us texting about uh, me and, and a couple of others that we know uh, from our home church in Sulphur Springs and some other connections over the years, being together in Galveston, and one of them asked, said, oh, that sounds a lot like coaching school, but for preachers. And I said, yes, that is exactly what it is, because the Texas High School Coaches Association, every year they get together in San Antonio, most of the time is where it is, big convention center, all the big equipment makers come down, all the big technology guys and, and everything come down and show up their stuff and college and professional coaches come in and share with them. So I got to hear from some professional pastors. Uh, I got to hear a great breakout session from Ed Stetzer. Uh, he was there speaking uh, to a group of us uh, on, on Monday evening and then addressed the whole convention meeting with a sermon on Monday night. I got to hear from Tom and Sam Rayner, uh, and they just share with us a little bit about what they're seeing in trends and in church and ministry life after the after the after and through the aftermath of the pandemic. Um, just to kind of give you all some perspective, Ed Stetzer came down to us from Chicago and he said there, most of the churches, a good church is seeing about 50% of their normal attendance back in person right now. Uh, we're about 75%. Some areas of the South, it's 80 to 90% have returned. Uh, there was a church planter that Ed knew on the front row of the breakout that he was leading. And that man said in New York City where he is, it's about 25 to 30%. Uh, so things are, are different all across our country uh, in the area of returning to in-person church worship attendance, participation, uh, Saddleback Church in California, one of the largest churches in the world, uh, just recently began worshiping back indoors. Uh, they've been having in-person worship outside. You can imagine thousands of people uh, worshiping outside in Conroe, Texas probably wouldn't work in the summer and the humidity. Uh, they're part of California. The weather's a little a little more uh, enjoyable outside. Uh, but one of the things that that we we did get to do is participate in in some business meetings in the life of our of our our state convention. Uh, a little over five thousand Southern Baptist churches in Texas are a part of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, of which we're one of those. Um, and the thing that was cool to me to see uh, was, and it was kind of funny uh, because it was the same person both times. But there were four things that were voted on in the first business session. And the entire time in the voting, there were two no votes, and it was the same person on two different votes. I don't know what that individual didn't like about those two items, uh, but everything else. And so the, the theme of the week was unity and just that, 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 that sweet uh, sense of, of presence of God in our churches, uh, some great things. Uh, the young man that was honored in our church a few weeks ago in all three services, Jonathan Powell, received an award uh, from the state convention. He's a graduate. Uh, of, an, of a state convention affiliated university, Houston Baptist University, and a principal at a school in New Caney and a member here of our church. And he was recognized along with eight other educators uh, in, a, in an award called Best uh, Educators uh, Serving uh, Teachers and Students all around our state. And they played a little video for that, so it was cool to see him. And I got to uh, rub shoulders with a couple familiar names. Uh, Tom Tillman was there. He worked for the state convention now, our former music minister. So I got to watch him uh, fret as the sound checking was happening before each of the sessions started and trying to get these uh, choirs who can um, sound good in a room that's not designed for choirs to sound good. A convention hall with a concrete floor and basically cinder block wall in the back and a, and a really, really loud sound system hanging from the ceiling, basically. And so he was 
trying to get all that figured out. And then David Lorenz was there as well as part of the uh, church he's a part of is in the Galveston Baptist Association. They played host. Uh, so they provided their churches, provided greeters and volunteers and ushers uh, for the for the two days that we were there. So it was good to catch up with some some old friends there. And then I've listed in there some announcements about our holiday schedule. Uh, you'll want to note that next Wednesday night we will not be meeting all across our campus. There will be no activities. Uh, we will have normal schedule on both Sunday mornings before and after uh, Thanksgiving. And then this year we have three Christmas Eve services. Again, all three identical services, candlelight services at 3, 4.30, and 6 p.m. That's on December the 24th again this year. It's Christmas Eve, so it's the same day it was last year. I think we had three last year. They were a little further apart, uh, so we're excited about, about doing that again this year. And then uh, two days later, Sunday, December the 26th, uh, we will have two services, and they will be at 9.30 and 11 o'clock. And Jeff will be out and I will be preaching. So I expect all of you to be at one of those services. Uh, there will not be life group, but we'll have a time of fellowship uh, between both those services as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, and you see there are no Wednesday night activities, the 22nd or the 29th of December uh, with the Christmas break. So I understand uh, we're in Second Peter tonight. Uh, that's what Jeff asked me to be prepared uh, to share on. We will not read every single verse of Second Peter, but we'll read uh, several verses from each chapter and kind of look at the, the major theme of Second Peter that I'll get to in just a second. But for Peter's second letter, uh, it's largely accepted that it was written to uh, an un, I want to say an unidentified, but an unspecified uh, audience of Christians, uh, most likely written late in his life uh, during part of the, the letter he writes uh, just in the days, references the days, my days are coming near. Um, under the uh, the oppression of the persecution of the emperor Nero, uh, and Peter we know was martyred at the hands of Nero uh, sometime around AD 67. And what Peter sought to do uh, with this letter was just to encourage and equip uh, Christians in their faith so that they would know how to grow in their faith, so they could recognize false teaching uh, and, and be able to say, this is what I know to be true because I've studied it, I've experienced it in my life. And I know that what I'm hearing, this false teacher, this false truth, really can't even, there's no such thing as a false truth. It's just a false teaching. But they could be able to recognize that and also that they would be prepared for the coming day of the Lord. And that's been a not just in some of these lesser studied uh, letters, the minor letters here in the end of the, the New Testament, but all throughout Paul's letters, especially that was a, a theme that was present uh, significantly in the early church. They were expected that Jesus was going to come back very quickly. Um, and here we are 2,000 or so years later, uh, and we are still expectant uh, for his return. But we're going to talk about how we should perceive that um, and what is happening in the world uh, today as God continues to use us to reach people uh, in light of the fact that Christ is coming back at some time. Uh, so we need to also, for a frame of reference, just remember some of the significant things that Peter experienced in his life. He was present um, at the Transfiguration, so that's important to remember. And he was personally, uh, besides being an apostle of Jesus, he was personally familiar uh, with the Apostle Paul. And so he saw and, and, and was with, obviously, uh, some of the most significant experiences in, in Christ's ministry, uh, Christ's life, the formation of the early church, 
And, and so a very, very, very significant person in, in our faith history. Uh, there are some modern scholar, scholars that would deny uh, that Peter was the actual author of this letter. Um, stylistically, it's a little different from 1 Peter, and so there's an argument to be made that it's also like Jude. Uh, there's there's a, a very small argument to be made that it was written by someone claiming to be Peter, but wasn't Peter. Uh, but the early church did a wonderful job uh, of filtering through all of the things that all of the writings that claimed to be of God and were not and made a really, really point to be sure that nobody was trying to imitate Paul or imitate one of the other apostles in writing something and trying to get it into the canon and, and being used as part of our scripture. And so uh, the most strong evidence uh, for Peter is there for Peter uh, being the author of uh, the letter Second Peter. And so I'm going to start in uh, chapter one, uh, read the greeting verses one and two, and then we'll bounce through several different sets of verses throughout chapters uh, one, two, and three before we conclude our time together tonight. So first, second uh, Peter, first chapter, first two verses, Simeon, Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so uh, the first part of the outline, uh, nothing fancy about this greeting. It's very, very similar, very common to several other New Testament letters. A couple things that we can, can pick out here. Obviously the name uh, from Simeon, Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Christ. So we get that established there. Uh, but two words he uses. In my translation, the ESV says, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so that would indicate to us that if he's declaring that he is a servant, then he is under the authority and lordship of someone. So he is declaring, I am under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then an apostle, I'm a follower. I'm one who's like him. I'm one who's coming after him. I've learned from this person. I'm an apostle of so-and-so. I'll pull another coaching example. You might hear that somebody is, you know, when you're talking about a young up and coming offensive coordinator at the college level or the, or, or the NFL level, they may say they're a disciple of someone, some older coach, some more established coach that they've learned from. And so we see that play out in Peter's life as he declares to be an apostle of Jesus. In the second verse, we see his purpose. He, he, he's setting out to foster spiritual growth and also a greater personal experience with God in this life. That yes, there is a day to come, there is a reward, there is the promise and the hope of heaven, uh, but, but Peter saw uh, firsthand what it looked like to walk with Christ, and, and what a life lived with Jesus Christ could look like, and what that experience could be, and he experienced that firsthand. And so he desired for other believers, those who have obtained a faith equal standing with ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he says, I want the grace and the peace to be multiplied to you, and I want you to grow in your knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you turn your, 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 your page, probably just one page over, uh, probably the one verse we've all heard uh, from Second Peter, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and, for, and both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we see he starts there and he ends there. And then in between, he's going to kind of show uh, his audience and us today what it means uh, to grow in the faith, what it means to, to trust God's word, what it means to be prepared uh, for, 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 for understanding and, and recognizing false teaching 
and then what it means to be prepared for the coming day of the Lord. So the first thing that we see in chapter uh, 1, verses 3 through 15 is, is how to grow in the faith. And so I want to read to you just verses 4 through 11 out of that section. It says, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we see here is that, that we, we have God's nature. Verse 4 shows us that. You, you, he has granted to us the precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We have God's divine nature inside of us, but it must be nurtured. We, we've got to do something to cultivate that nature, to to stimulate that nature and to suppress the other nature that's naturally inside of us, the sin nature, the desire we have to please ourselves. We have to suppress that desire and raise the desire that's inside of us to please God. And we know that to be true because in Genesis chapter 1, it says we were created, we bear the image of God. And so, yes, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and we are fallen and we have that, that desire to please ourselves in us, but we also have that image of God on us, that, that desire to be unified with Him. And, and as we, after we become believers, hopefully that desire to become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ, to be obedient, to follow after Him. And then we see in verses 5-7, through seven, we see that we've got to, I like this way, we've got to take our vitamins. Now, I don't take any regular medication. There may be at least one person in the room that takes regular medication. But how many of you take vitamins regularly? How many of us take vitamins regularly, right? We supplement that, right? Maybe we need, we have low vitamin D or low calcium. I'm not a milk drinker. My wife drinks more than enough milk for me. My son drinks it. My daughter does it. My, water, my daughter drinks more water than all of us combined. Uh, but so I have to kind of every once in a while be sure that I'm supplementing the lack of vitamins that I may be missing in fruits and vegetables and milk and things like that with a nice, good multivitamin. Maybe some of you have them in your, your box, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday box. I'm, I haven't made it to that point yet, uh, but I think I'm going to get there one day. Uh, but you have medication, vitamins. So we're talking about vitamins, things that you need to enhance the way that God designed our bodies. Not something to keep us from being sick or having that, but something to add to make our life longer, more fruitful, more enjoyable. And so what, what, what this, this letter that Peter has written here says, take these things, make every effort to supplement your faith. Not, not working to earn your faith, not working to earn salvation. That, that, that was earned on the cross by Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is, add to your faith and enhance your faith. Make your faith all that God desires it to be with virtue. 
and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. That unconditional agape love that says no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, I'm going to love you because God loves you. And so he's saying you, you can grow in your faith by doing these things. He's going to talk a little bit about knowledge, but also about application. Uh, and I learned a long time ago about there's there's a there's you know there's the old saying about you know it's it's it, it the analogy is going to kind of break down because we're not going to talk about wisdom, but it is an application. And knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom, in this case, application is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Right? Next week at Thanksgiving, if you go to your you get together with your family and someone brings a fruit salad. There's not going to be any tomatoes in it, I hope. There may be a, a green salad there with some ranch dressing. I've never eaten salad at Thanksgiving. That takes away from all the other things. I'm amazed at some of the things that I will eat one time a year on Thanksgiving Day, and that's the only time I will eat that all year long. But as we take this word and we learn it, then, then we have to ask ourselves the question, are we applying it to our lives? says, whoever lacks these qualities in verse 9 is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the moment you trust Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But everything you do after that increases that reward that is waiting for you on that side of eternity. And so I just wonder, you know, we can enter heaven without rewards, but how fulfilling would it be in the next life to not practice these things? And how fulfilling would this life be to not practice these things? Wouldn't be very fulfilling, would it? It wouldn't be all that God has designed our walk and our life with him uh, to be. And so that's what we see in, in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. We see the importance of growing in the faith and how we do that. And so we then have to ask ourselves the question Am I satisfying sinful desire or am I, am I seeking virtue and knowledge and self control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love? Am I seeking those things? Are people seeing those things evident in my life? Uh, this is where a, a, a good uh, non-family uh, accountability partner is very helpful. Someone who's close to you, who's around you, to see that in you and say, you know what, that's that's not what that's not what I'm seeing in your life, or, or that is, and, and and maybe they want that. They say, how do you do that? How are you so self-controlled, or how are you so? Which, by the way, don't watch me watch a football game of the Baylor Bears or the Dallas Cowboys because there will not be much self-control when the official makes a bad call. Uh, I will say that for sure. So th those are the areas where we get a little more leniency. Am I correct on that or am I, am I missing that one? But as you think about your life and growing to be more like Christ, you, you know, I, I hope and I pray that we would have the word or the three letters ADD, add, that, that we would look to add to our own lives. And, and by adding to our lives, then we would be adding to the kingdom uh, what God is doing in and through us. And the rest of chapter 1, the, the, the remaining six verses in chapter 1, uh, just highlight the importance of uh, the trustworthiness of the prophetic word. Um, the first thing we see in verse 16 is that Peter's authority came from his relationship with Christ. We did not 
He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying, I can say what I'm saying to you because I've seen it. It's not something that I've heard that's made up. It's not a story someone told me where that story is true or not. These are, these are flowing from a relationship that started out of a person that Peter knew and met and walked with and learned from and saw minister and saw go to the cross and experienced his death, his burial, his resurrection, and is on the other side of that. When he received, verse 17, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, talking about referencing the transfiguration where he was there, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very very voice born from heaven, and, and we, for we who were with him on the holy mountain, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Peter's authority comes from his relationship with Christ. It's a relationship that was personal. And then Peter offers a defense uh, for what is described by Tony Evans as the uncontaminated, perfect nature of the Bible. Says that in verse 20, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so he, he, he introduces this because he's getting ready to then talk about, okay, this is true. Now here, here is how you use this word, this teaching to be a filter uh, for what is, is false teaching, what you're hearing that sounds like the truth, but isn't the truth. So in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter writes, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of, doomy, of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when He brought the flood, and if turning the cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. He goes into this, this discourse, this historical uh, look into all these different times when God issued either judgment or deliverance uh, on a group of people or for a group of people. See, many in the church uh, had begun to follow the depraved ways of false teachers. And Peter recognized that and wanted to, to help prevent that from happening. And so he begins to, to write to them about this and shows them in verses 9 through 12 how, how God balances both deliverance and judgment. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, 
born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. And so we see this balance of deliverance for the believer, for the one who, who turns away from his or her evil desires and desires to follow after truth, and desires to follow after God's son, Jesus. But then we see uh, the, the way that judgment works and the way that, that, that Peter writes that those remain under punishment in verse 9 until the, until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. And so we see that, that, that where we may, may seek, we may desire, we may wish judgment on someone in the world, in our lives we know, someone we know of, someone we think is doing evil in the world, well, rest assured, you can trust God with that. Uh, you take care of, of your obedience and your faithfulness and the things you can control in and around your life and, and rest in the deliverance that God has provided you uh, from sin through His Son, Jesus Christ, and trust the rest to Him. Trust the rest of someone being delivered or someone being judged to God, and He's going to do that according to His, His perfect will. And then the, the last thing we see about the false teachers toward the end of chapter 2, I want to get to this uh, before we move on, in verses 18 and 19. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they, talking about the false teachers, enticed by sensual passions, of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so the reality is that while a false teacher may be claiming that their way, their teaching leads to freedom, the, the reality is and the truth is they're stuck in slavery already. They're stuck in bondage already because they're giving in to their evil desires and not trusting in the freedom in Christ. You know, the outside world has a perception about Christians that we're not fun. Uh, we, we have a set of rules we follow. Our lives are lived in a box, uh, maybe a, a, a fun-free cage, if you will. Uh, but I, I don't see anybody in here that's not having fun tonight. I don't know anybody on this campus that's probably not having fun right now. I don't know any of us that don't have fun every time we get together and gather and worship in the name of Jesus, serve in the name of Jesus, and even when we're not doing something affiliated with our local church. I just feel like the Christians I know, in general, their lives are just more fun than the non-Christians I know, their lives in general. They, they may, there may be some individual things that in the moment maybe are more enjoyable in that moment than some of the things I've done in my life. Uh, but the next morning it's not enjoyable or the weeks or months or years they spend in jail because of that decision are not enjoyable or any of the other things, the hurt that comes and the consequences that come from that. And so the, the, the exact opposite is true. When someone's teaching a message outside the gospel that's claiming freedom, they're actually walking you towards the opposite of that. They're actually walking someone towards the opposite of that. And so false teachers, they promise freedom, but they actually bring more bondage. And then the next chapter, chapter 3, looks at the coming day of the Lord. And three things we see about this in verses 5 and 6. The first one is this, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water, and through, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged and with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
the scoffers, those that, that doubt that Jesus is going to come back again, ignore all that's happened already all throughout history. Ignore the things that have happened, the times uh, that God has, has said he was going to judge the world or a group of people in a certain way, and he did exactly that. And so if he's done all of these things and everything that has happened, that he is someone directly or through prophecy, that God had said he was going to do something and he had done that thing, then if, he, if his own son, God in the flesh, says, I'm going to return, then we can stake our claim on that, that he is going to return one day. But then I think that, that something that we see in verses 8 and 9, I think it's really important for us as we think about what our role as Christians ought to be. Because we see that, that God truly desires that no one perish. And so might that be why there's a delay or a tarry in Jesus' return? Might that be why that day has not come yet, that there, there are many more that God desires to see be reached for the gospel, for the kingdom, because God truly desires for no one to perish? Verse 8 says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re reach repentance. So we're counting in, in, in days as we number them, as we measure them, uh, but we cannot truly and fully know uh, the scale to which God is, is counting towards the time uh, when His Son will come back into this world. And then the last thing we see in this chapter, uh, believers are to be active in their obedience. Uh, we can patiently wait for the Lord's return, but that doesn't mean that we passively wait for the Lord's return. We can, we can be patient, but we can still be obedient. Verse 11 and 12 say this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So yes, we ought to desire to long for that day, uh, but we don't sit passively waiting for that day. We're active, we're obedient, we're doing the things that God has called us to do. And then just two final words that, that Peter gives us in the conclusion of his letter. The one thing is this, uh, we're called to maintain a stable position spiritually. I don't know a single, I don't know a single thing you do in, 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 a, in a remotely athletic contact sport. Uh, when, when, if a ball is being hit, if an individual is being hit, that you don't need strong legs and strong hips. Golf, baseball, football, basketball, tennis. That's what I played growing up. You need strong, you need a strong, firm foundation to make that athletic move. You need a stable position. You don't just kind of casually walk up to the golf ball and stand there. You get in a good, stable position. Teaching my son Tate, who's 10 years old, to get in the batter's box in a stable position so he's ready to hit that ball. In the same way, uh, for us to be prepared for what Satan might throw our way, we need to be in a spiritually stable position. Uh, and I would argue that position starts with this book open and preferably, uh, whether, whether it's a literal physical position or, or a physical, or a, excuse me, or a figurative posture of your heart that we would be on our knees before God, bow before Him, and, and make that a daily occurrence in your life, uh, that, that we could establish that position spiritually before Him. And that's a key to godly living. And then the theme, again, summarized, 
in verse 18 of chapter 3. The theme of, of, of Peter's letter here that we've looked at, at bits and pieces of tonight. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So here's four things you can take with you tonight. Uh, there's no explanation for them. They're right there written in front of you. They're kind of your takeaways. One, to grow in faith, we must increase our understanding and application of Scripture. Uh, yes, it'd be great to, to, to memorize an entire book of the Bible. I had a man get up in front of a church, a group I was a part of one time, a group of students, and he quoted, recited the entire Sermon on the Mount uh, there at the front of our church. And it was a really impressive thing. Uh, but what was more impressive is I, I, I knew that man lived out the teachings of those words. And that was what was more impressive about what Mr. Glidewell did that day in Sulphur Springs. Not, not that he memorized three chapters out of the Bible. You know, anybody can do that. Uh, but the fact that he was doing that and all of us knew that he was a man that practiced what those words he was saying were. So yes, increase your knowledge, increase your understanding of Scripture, but be sure to apply it to your life. And this one, number two, knowing the truth helps us stay alert uh, to false teaching. Uh, the more we know the truth, the easier it is to see that. That's, that's not true. That sounds right, but, but that's not completely right. And if it's not completely right, it's completely untrue. Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, something in the church office the other day, Michael Van Gorp, our student minister and I were, and it was actually one of the questions off the questionnaire uh, that, that 279 people, I think, from our church filled out and responded. One of them was, you know, it was, you know, if you filled out, you know, the scale, it was all the way from completely true to completely untrue with a couple of other levels in between. And the question was, do you know for sure that you're saved? I don't know if that was the exact question or not. You know, and our, our, our argument on that was if, if the answer is anything other than completely true, it's not true. You know, if you're unsure, let's talk about it. Uh, you know, and so that's kind of the way that, that, that I feel about false teaching. Um, you know, I feel like that, that, that God's word is true. And, and so our responsibility as Christians is to, to know it, to study it, apply it to our lives. If we have a question about it, go to a resource that we can trust, go to a person we can trust, pray, listen, ask God to respond to us. But we ought to know God's word and, and be familiar enough with, with the, the, the totality of scripture that when we hear someone who claims to be a pastor, uh, an author that maybe is secular with a lean towards Christian circles, maybe popular press, we see that and we think, oh, that, that sounds good. But we can filter that through the lens of Scripture. And then the third thing, abandon what is temporary and embrace what is eternal. Uh, I think that some of the things that the false teachers uh help us or, or try to get us to see is, is to cling to things of this world and find fulfillment in things of this world. And, and obviously we know as believers uh, that the exact opposite is true of that, that everything of this world is going to fade away. And the things that last, the relationship with Christ, those we help take steps to enter into relationship with Christ, those lives that are changed for eternity because of our obedience and our faithfulness, that's what's going to last. And the last one just goes to that part about the day of the Lord and our, our being active and not passive. We're not, we're not to feel guilty of, we're not to feel like we're wasting our faith by patiently waiting for Christ because we're patient 
uh, but we're active. We're still obedient. We're still faithful in that. And I think that's that's probably a very big takeaway that that I have personally from this letter is that, you know, that whether that time is a year from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, that that I would be found just as obedient and faithful if that happens in my lifetime uh, or, or if it doesn't. It happens two lifetimes, three lifetimes, generations from now, however long it might be when Christ returns, that, that we will have not been found as a church, that we will have not been found as individuals uh, wasting our time on, on being passive, but that we've been active in our, in our patient waiting for Christ's return. So I'm thankful for this letter and I'm thankful for this, this study we've been able to have. And I'm thankful for each one of you uh, for being here tonight. So does anybody have any questions? All right. Well, like I said before, if you got a prayer request, let us know. And, and don't, I should have clarified earlier. Don't think because I ask you if you know somebody that needs to be taken off that we're not interested in taking any new ones. If the list has to go to the back page, we will make it go to the back page. We will, we, we can print, we have copy machines that print on both sides of the paper here. So we're good. So, well, thank y'all for being here tonight. Let me close this in prayer and then y'all fellowship, get home, whatever you want to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, the challenge we've seen from your, your word, from Second Peter and this letter to grow in our faith, uh, to, to not only and not just increase our understanding, but also increase our application. Help us to, to supplement our faith with virtue and steadfastness and self-control and godliness and brotherly affection and love and help us uh, to be able to see and identify uh, the truth that you have for us and separate it from the false teaching that that others may try to share in our lives and our world and and most of all just help us as we uh, prepare for for your your son's return and what an incredibly glorious day that will be whenever that day happens but that we uh, would be obedient, that we would be faithful, and we would do everything that you call us to do between now and whenever that day is. Uh, we give you this, this rest of this week. Thank you for the opportunity we'll have to get back together Sunday morning and worship you as a church family. Uh, continue to use us to make a difference in our community and the lives of those around us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.